Listen to Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrances of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I invite you to bow your head in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would Make yourself clear to us. Lord, we ask that you would do what what your word says, that you will fulfill your promises. We ask that you would be at work in our hearts now as we have have read of your work in, in bringing your promises to pass in history. So continue to do that work now in our own hearts. Lord, where we have sin, expose it to the the light of the gospel. And let us turn from sin. Let us repent and turn back to you. In faith. Lord, where we, where we are tempted to trust in ourselves, let us see that we must rely on you and your power and your authority. Lord, for those who are with us today who, who do not know you as their rescuer, as their savior, I pray that you would grant faith to believe, to trust in you and your work on our behalf. We come in the name of Jesus, the one who died for us, Jesus our Savior. Amen. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. Michelangelo captures the despair, the sorrow of Jeremiah on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. 
Pastor Phil Riken describes the, the painting for us. Jeremiah looks like a man who has wept so long he has no tears left to shed. His face is turned down to one side like a man who has been battered by many blows. His shoulders are hunched forward, weighed down by the sins of Judah. His eyes also are cast down as if he can no longer bear to see God's people suffer. His hand covers his mouth. Perhaps he has nothing left to say. Jeremiah is called to minister to the people of God and to the nations as well during a horrendous time, time of chaos. It's, it's there for us in this superscription, this, this, this open, the opening words of his book. In verse 1, if you look there, we, we, we learn his name, the name of his father. We learn that he's from a, a priestly family, that he lives just north of Jerusalem, just an hour's walk to the temple. And then in verses 2 and 3, we're, we're given the historical context. This is at the end of the kingdom of Judah. These are the names of the last kings who will reign. Josiah, the great-great-great-great-grandson of David, is the last king who will be called righteous. He, as a, as, a, as, a, as a boy, took the throne, and as a young man, brought about the reforms as he read God's word and his life was transformed. He, he tried to transform the nation, but his sons, two of whom are named here, his sons were evil men who turned away from God. Actually, there are two other kings, another son and a, and a grandson, who, who Jeremiah doesn't even bother to list, Jehoahaz and Jehoiachin, they each only reigned three months. That's how chaotic the kingdom was. These 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry were, were as the nation crumbled. The, the, the great power of Assyria to the north was, was in, its, in its twilight. And so Egypt began to, to attack. But, but the Babylonians were taking over the northern part. And so caught in the middle, as it always had been during its history, is this little kingdom of Judah trampled on by the tribes. But verse 3 tells us how bad the situation is. Look at, look at how it ends. This takes place when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Their kings ripped from the throne and dragged into exile in Babylon. This is the time at which Jeremiah is called by God to bring a message of judgment. And so that's what we'll look at. We'll look at his call, his message, but, but we'll also find in here promise. Promise from God of, of rescue. Again, we can look in, in verse 2 at, at a very shocking phrase. Well, perhaps it's not shocking to us because we hear it all throughout the Bible, but, but verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah repeats that in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, at one level, is very familiar because that's the way many of the prophets speak. They are God's spokesmen, and so they often begin what, what they're telling the people with, the word of the Lord came to me. But stop and consider how shocking that is. And it, it actually feels shocking to us that God himself, the Lord, would speak to his people, that God would enter into history, and actually, we're, we're not quite comfortable with this. I mean, 
we don't like God to, to interrupt us. I mean, we're, many of us, okay with the idea of God or, or some supreme being that, that brings us comfort and, and maybe perhaps a little bit of guidance, but, but as long as he keeps quiet. But, but one theologian pointed out that, that that idea of God, that you sort of snuggle up against him to, to make you feel comfortable, as long as he doesn't place any demands on you, at least too big a demands, and he, and he keeps quiet. That kind of description, a, a God who comforts you but is quiet, doesn't speak, that doesn't sound like God. That sounds like a puppy. And that sounds like a, a pet. And so that's what we want of God. We want God to comfort us, to be there. Now, yes, there are little demands. You've got to take the dog out. You've got to, but, but not huge demands. It doesn't change my entire life. We want God in that kind of category. But, but the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It's a, it's a demand. God is speaking to us. And so it challenges our, our expectations. It, it should force us to sit up and listen. If God is going to speak, he might actually want something to change in my life. He might demand something of me. He might orient my life differently. And then notice as the, this call comes to Jeremiah, Jeremiah being set apart for his ministry as a, as a prophet, look at the, the, the beautiful poetry of verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, this is both a a powerful call. Jeremiah will will take judgment to the nations of the world, the great political powers. He will have more authority than kings because he is God's spokesman. But it's also very personal. God knows him. God set him apart. God is the one who forms him. It's, an, it's intimate language, and, and even that, that, that word which is translated for us as new is the, like the, that God knew him. I mean, it's, it's, it's a word of intimacy, that God knew him deeply and was in relationship with him. And in some ways, this is similar language here to the language we read in our call to worship from Psalm 139 about God knitting us together and forming us. It's an intimacy here of, of God's call on, on Jeremiah, and, and it and Jeremiah needs this. He needs to know for certain that God is calling him, that, that he's not just been giving this, this dangerous task without a reason, because there will be times when he will doubt, is this really what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing? For, for decades he'll preach and almost no one responds. There will be a moment when, when he is trapped in the city with everyone because they are surrounded by the Babylonian armies. So everyone is a prisoner inside the city, and then Jeremiah is a prisoner within that city as well. He's a prisoner twice over, a prisoner of the Babylonians and then of the people of Jerusalem. He will need to know that God is with him. But the beauty of the language, the intimacy here, I I think also has, has broader implications for us, for us today. It means that, that before birth, God is involved in our lives. And, and this summer, as, as culturally our country has talked about the, the questions about life, when does life begin? We've, as a, as a country, looked at, at news stories that, that show us the, the sadness and horror of abortion. Now, I know, I know, you're, some of you are already in the category of, all right, Kevin, let's not get political. First of all, I'd, I'd like a little bit of break from the nonsense that's all around me all the time. Plus, I don't really know that I can trust you to be the most politically astute person. You're a, you're a pastor. And, and why, do we need to, why, why are you now going to draw a, a sharp line right down the middle 
and make me choose. I mean, I like being here at church. I want this to be a place that I could, I could bring people who might not yet, yet agree. And I, and I know the frustration. But before the, the issue of life, before the question of abortion is a political question, it is a deeply theological question. It's an ethical question. It's a spiritual question. Because in some ways, it's going back to that, that first point we've been talking about, that the word of the Lord comes to us. It's about who God is. Does God have the authority to speak to us? Does, does God have the authority as the creator to describe for us what is true about life? And it means we, we need to listen. When God says that he knew Jeremiah, when the psalmist describes being, being knitted together by God, God intimately involved, then it means for us who want to follow God, we need to care about life. And that's why we're asking you to, to support A Door of Hope, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And their ministry isn't just to get children to, to birth, but they help young mothers raise their children. And so we need, to, we need to, as a church, care about life. And that means some of you, some of you need to become foster parents and bring children into your home, children whose, whose lives are at risk. Some of you need to adopt, but all of us need to care. All of us need to pray because God knows us intimately. Now, not only is this a theological question before it's political, I also know this is deeply personal. Because as we speak about God's love for those yet to be born, for some of you, it, as you look at your lives, as you look at your story, as you look at your past, you think, yes, but what I've done, what I've done before I was here today, God couldn't forgive. I want, you to, I want you to know that God intimately loves us and that there is no sin. There is no rebellion against God that God is not bigger than. God's grace overflows. As big as your sin could be, God's grace is bigger. And so I want you to, if you feel the, the weight of sorrow, of guilt, of shame, I want you to keep listening. Listen this morning for the words of hope that come to us from the God who loves us. Because God calls Jeremiah even before he's born, preparing him. And yet Jeremiah's response to this call is in verse 6, God, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a child. He may have just been a young man at this point, even just 12 or 13. A young man. And, and God says, look at verse 7, don't say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you. You must say whatever I say. In verse 9, God touches him and he says, I have put my words in your mouth. God is the one who will be doing the speaking. That's actually the definition of what a prophet is. If you turn back to, to Deuteronomy 18, when Moses tells the people that God is going to send prophets, and what does it mean to be a prophet? God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command them. So the prophet is the one who has the words of God in his mouth. Jeremiah called by God to be his spokesman and take the message. And so what is that message? It's a message given, as we've already seen, in the, in the context of the rise and fall of these kingdoms, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Josiah, the, the last of the righteous kings, his reforms don't bring about the change needed. And his sons, 
Three of them reign after him, a grandson also on the throne, are all evil. They rebel against God, and so God is going to bring a message of judgment, of punishment on his people. And look at what, what Jeremiah is supposed to do. What is his calling for? So what is his message? Look at verse 10. God says, Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I mean, if you count up the, the sort of positive words and the negative words, the destructive words or the constructive, it's, it's twice as bad as it is good. Jeremiah is going to do more destroying than he will do building up. And actually, that's a pretty good summary of the book of Jeremiah. Yes, there are words of hope and words of encouragement, but there is judgment that will be spoken by God. Unless we're lest we're tempted to just leave this language of judgment too far here in the past, we, we need to remember that, that this, this language of judgment stretches all through the Scriptures, even into the New Testament. Listen to the warning that comes to us in the New Testament book, the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We read this in, in verse, verses 30 and 31, that God is the God who will avenge. God will repay. We're told the Lord will judge his people. Now, now listen to this warning. Hebrews 10, verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so judgment, judgment against sin is, is not something just confined to the, to the Old Testament, not simply the message of an angry prophet. It's the message of a righteous God, a holy God. God will bring punishment for sin. And we, we see this in the, the visions that, that Jeremiah has. He has, we see in verse, verse 11, a, a vision of an almond tree, an almond branch. And in verse 13, he sees a, a boiling pot. So let's, let's look at both of those, but let's start with the boiling pot. It's a more obvious image. It's easier for, easier for us to understand as those who don't speak Hebrew. And so the, the second vision is clearly a vision of judgment. Jeremiah sees a, a pot brought to a boil. The kind of, you can picture an, an open campfire with a, with a big cauldron. And then what happens? The boiling water is poured out from the north onto the nation of Judah. The imagery is obvious. If you are there in the wake of this judgment, you will be destroyed. God is going to summon the peoples of the northern kingdoms and send them against Judah. And as we go through his, his prophecy, there will be almost nothing left of this nation. The walls of their cities destroyed. Jerusalem turned to rubble. So God is bringing judgment. The, the first image, though, of the almond branch is also a, an image of judgment. It, it's, it's really a play on words here in, in the Hebrew. The, the word for almond, the, the almond tree, sounds like the word that we read in verse 12 of God is watching. Okay, now, your, my Bible has a, has a little footnote that actually tells me that, that. Oh, the Hebrew word for watching sounds like the Hebrew word for almond tree. But because I'm reading in English, we don't hear it. Because this is the image. that The almond tree, in, in, especially, I mean, in this part of the world, but especially even in in Anathoth, where, where Jeremiah lived, the first sign of spring 
is the budding of the almond tree. I mean, if you're in Washington, D.C., what's the first sign of spring? It's the cherry blossoms. If you're in Anathoth, what's the first sign of spring? It's the almond tree. It's the first of the trees to bud, and so it's, it's, it's called the watching tree. It's the tree that waits and watches for spring to come. And when it begins to bud, you know that spring is here. And so God is the watching God. He is waiting for his judgment to come. And, and verse 12 tells us that he is guaranteeing that this judgment will be fulfilled. And so both of these images show us both the, the certainty that God is fulfilling his judgment and the, and the horror of the judgment. It's like a boiling pot being poured out. And you and I stand not under the, the judgment that comes through through the kingdoms of the north. But you and I stand under the judgment of God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because of our sin, that's, that's the reason for, for the judgment here. And you and I are, are like the people of Judah. We are, we are wicked. Look at verse 16. The people of Judah have forsaken God in their wickedness. They're burning incense to other gods. They're worshiping idols. They've turned away from God. That's the judgment that that should fall on us as well for our wickedness, for our rebellion, for turning against God. You and I stand in the path of judgment. And so our only hope, your only hope today, is if you find someone who will rescue you, someone who can provide a, a solution to this problem. And that's what we see in here, and and we'll see this throughout the book of Jeremiah, the promise of God, even in the midst of judgment. Yes, God is guaranteeing that judgment against sin is coming, but God is also providing a rescuer. Multiple times in this passage, Jeremiah is given reassurance that God will be with him. He's going to need that reassurance. He's going to need to know that God has been with him from the very beginning, from, from the time he was in his mother's womb. God has been with him. Because he will face difficult circumstances. And look at verse 17. God is telling Jeremiah, Get yourself ready, stand up, and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them. Now the problem is when somebody tells you not to be terrified, what's about to happen? Something terrifying. And actually, the the, the promise that's repeated in this passage, in verse 8, when God says, Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you. And we'll rescue you. That promise in verse 8 is repeated at the end of the chapter in verse 19. I am with you and I will rescue you. The problem with rescue, that kind of language, is that it implies you're in a dangerous situation. I mean, Jeremiah may have been thinking, God, how about, how about we kind of change the agreement? How about you promise to be with me and you protect me? How about, God, why don't we go with this promise? I am with you and I will be your fortress. So that you'll, I will be protected from harm. No, what does God say? I am with you and I will rescue you. Meaning you will, Jeremiah will find him in a place where he needs rescue, where he is really under threat. And that's why God says that he will be with him. And this rescue is really the rescue that, that we need. Because like the people of Judah, we, we stand in the path of God's judgment. We stand as those who are, who are guilty before God, and so we need God to keep this promise, 
to be the God who's, who can say to us, I am with you and I will rescue you. And that is the promise to, toward which Jeremiah's prophecies point us. We'll see it in rich detail as we get to, to chapter 31, but, but it's the promise of the Savior who will come. The, the great Messiah, Jesus, the, the greatest of the prophets, the one who, who doesn't need to preface his, his speeches with, thus saith the Lord, because when he speaks, it is the very words of the Lord. But we need the, the Savior who will come. And be able to speak to us these words of God. I am with you. I will rescue you. And that's that's what Jesus does for us. He is the rescuer. We've already seen the the warning of judgment in in Hebrews chapter 10, but it's it's set in the context of rescue. It's it's a word of encouragement, of rescue persevere, stand strong. It's, it's similar to the, the kind of language that's used here in Jeremiah 1 of, of, I'm with you so you can endure what you're facing. And how? Well, Hebrews 10, in the, in, these are just the verses that, that precede the, just, just shortly before the ones that I've already read. We're told that we can, we can persevere, we can stand strong because God has rescued us through the blood of Jesus. Listen to these words, Hebrews 10 at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. How can you come near to a holy and righteous God who pours out the boiling water of wrath, you can only come if someone else took the punishment for you. You can only come through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you can enter into the holy presence of God. The only way with assurance that you can, you can be near God. And that's, that's the only way that those words of Jeremiah, I, when God says, I am with you, That's the only way through Jesus is those are words of comfort and not words that we should fear. For if God comes with the the boiling cauldron of judgment when he says, I'm here, then we should be frightened that judgment is upon us only in Christ. With that judgment taken, the penalty paid for only in Christ do the words, I am with you, bring to us comfort. And so it's here in the rescue of God that comes through Jesus Christ that you and I find hope. That we find forgiveness for our wickedness, for our rebellion, for our selfishness, for our rejection of God's authority in our lives. When we see the judgment, we see that it has fallen on Jesus. We put our trust and our hope in Him. Like Jeremiah, we have we've not been promised a life without trouble. We will find ourselves in places where we need to cry out to God, God, rescue me. But we have the promise that Jeremiah speaks to us that God is with us. We have a Savior who took the burning punishment upon himself. We have a Savior who says to us, I am with you. 
and I will rescue you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the urgency of your word. We feel the weight of judgment upon us. And so, Lord, let us in Jesus Christ find hope and forgiveness in the gospel. Lord, for those who don't know Jesus as their, as their rescuer, speak now to them. That, that now, with the, the, the threat of impending judgment, they would turn and find rescue in the death of Jesus Christ our Savior that they would find everlasting hope in the promise that Jesus is with us in his resurrection from the dead. Lord, grant us the faith to believe, the assurance that you are the God who loves us, you are the God who knows us, you are the God who forgives us. Strengthen us as a church to proclaim this gospel, and as Christians, strengthen us. Even as we come to this table, strengthen us by the sacrament, that we would know and understand the glories of what Jesus has done for us. We come praying in his name. Amen.